our darkest times, that's when you shine through. Even if we don't acknowledge you're there in our lowest points, you're still there with us. And I just beg that we, that we acknowledge that and that we look for you in everything that we do, in our low points and our high points, because everything is possible through you. To your glory, everything is to your glory. We're thankful for that. And I just pray that we put our hearts in a place of wanting to lead your kingdom, that we want to further your kingdom, that we turn ourselves to servants for you, we give you this vessel of ours, our arms, our legs, our body, our mouths, our brains. This is all yours. Nothing of myself is for me, but use me to better your kingdom. We pray this all in your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Good morning, church family. Excited to continue our series on thanks and giving. If you didn't catch on by the uh, whole video clip just happened behind me, uh, if you don't know what it's about, we've been exploring this season of stewardship and really more, more specifically exploring the marriage between our gratitude and our generosity. We've been saying over and over again this whole idea that, that your, your generosity and, and your gratitude are directly attributed to your relationship with God in many different ways. As a matter of fact, it's almost like a thermometer that shows kind of where it's at. Uh, you will struggle to give to what you don't really care about at the end of the day. You, you'll struggle to be grateful for things you don't really care about, you're not passionate about. And so we kind of want to continue to work through this. How, how do we work on these, develop these areas in our life? And today we're talking about the relationship between our generosity and, and relationships. And so uh, do me a favor real quick. With the people you're around, I like to have kind of talk back, kind of kick off, give you an opportunity just to move around stuff. But do me this favor. With the people you're around, would you share a time you gave a gift to someone you cared that you were excited about giving it to them? You ever had a time where you had a gift, you were so excited to give it to him that you just could not wait to give it to him? I, I, I'm just busting at the seams to give it to him. Take a second with the person next to you, share a gift, share what it was, uh, what, what it was, and, and take a second and do that, and we'll kind of pull back together here in a second. If you can't think of a time, you may be a bad gift giver, I'm just going to say right now. So take a second.
Uh, pull it back in. I don't know if you can think of a time. Maybe you just gave away your Christmas gift that you were going to give. Uh, when Emily and I first got married, we, we were real bad about this. Uh, we were real excited about the gifts we got each other for like Christmas and stuff. I remember at one point we, we made it to, I think, the week after Thanksgiving, and I was so excited. Like, I, I just need you to open it right now, and she opened the present. And after a couple of years of that, then you get to Christmas, and there's nothing to open for Christmas because you were so excited about them opening it, we started making rules that we can't purchase gifts until the second week of December, so that way we would wait. Uh, just because we were so excited for them to open the gifts, and we had kids, and man, we were so excited. We were like, can we just celebrate Christmas a week early so they can open these gifts? We were so excited just to see the look on their face and to give them this thing that they have been talking about all the time wanting, or my favorite whenever I married into Emily's family, or their favorite, I guess. I remember our first year of marriage, we went to their house, and they had spent years of being, her, her mom is a huge gift giver. She, she just, that's her love language. And so for them, for them, they would wake up at three o'clock in the morning on Christmas Day to open Christmas presents, and I let them know nothing good happened at three o'clock in the morning. I don't care if it's Christmas, I don't care if it's Day of Pentecost, I don't care what it is, nothing good happens at 3 a.m., and so they're all excited about the gifts. I'm cussing like a sailor, not really cussing, maybe a little bit in my head, but just all the things, I'm so frustrated, like, why are we doing this? Uh, it's just funny how the excitement we can give when you have a good gift, or, or when you are excited about something, and how that changes everything. Well, like, think about that for your own situation. Like, why were you so excited to give the gift? The reality, if you really think about that question, is why were you so excited is the joy of the gift was tied to the relationship you had with the person, right? If you don't care about the person, you don't care about the gift, right? It's all tied to the relationship you have. My excitement for watching my girls open unicorns and Barbie dolls, I don't care about those things, but they do. And so I'm excited because I want them to get this gift. My wife, it's excitement. I don't care about bath bombs and, and duvet covers. But you know what? I was that Christmas. Why? Because my relationship was tied to that gift. I, I contrast that with my attitude to other gifts that we've given in the past. My, my wife is a, was a teacher, and for years and stuff, it was always, you, you gave gifts to, Chris, to teachers over certain times of the years. And I was like, why? And, and so we got an off the fights about, she want to give gift. And I was very stingy. I'm like, I'm not giving them a gift. Are you kidding me? Like, are you, are you seeing how our kids are doing? Like, no, no, I'm just kidding. But, you know, I'm like, are you kidding me? This is what we're going to do. And so every time my wife would go gifts, and I would just gripe and complain because there was no relationship, and I became very bitter about it. If you haven't picked up, I probably should not be teaching this sermon on stewardship. I'm reading from my own journal of things that God's grooming in my heart with this sort of stuff, and I ask you to join this journey with me. That today, the big idea we're going to look at today is this. Your generosity is a reflection of your relationship. Let me say it again. Your generosity is a reflection of your relationship. And so I have to ask you this question, how generous are you? How generous are you with the Lord? I, for years and years and years, by my own confession, struggled with this and thought, well, you know, God doesn't need it or, or whatever other reason I could come up in my head or I'm struggling with whatever sort of stuff. The reality is those I've loved in my life, I found a way because I was so passionate about showing my love for them that I would make a way. And in the Lord, I'd be very stingy and it affected so many other areas of my life. And if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to an account. We're going to look at a case study of an example in Genesis chapter 4, a famous account that you know of. You probably guessed where we're going today with Cain and Abel in Genesis chapter 4. Read verses 1 through 7. And we're going to look at how a relationship affected a gift. 
Now, as you're turning there to Genesis chapter 4, let me give you some background in case you're unfamiliar with the story thus far, what's going on. In Genesis chapter 1, uh, there was nothing, and then God made everything, kind of how Genesis chapter 1 and 2 goes. Literally out of nothing, God created everything just by the spoken word, which it blows my mind. Just think God says, let there be light, and suddenly we have lights and sunburns and all other stuff that comes with it and daylight savings. No, that was man-made, never mind. Uh, you know, all the stuff that came with it. And he created a man and woman in his, in his image. He created Adam and Eve, and he said, this is good. He said, this is very good. And in Genesis chapter 3, if you don't know, they had this little incident called the fall where Adam and Eve chose to disobey God's one and only rule he had in the garden. He says, you can have everything, but this one thing is mine. Do not touch. Yeah, and they did it anyways because they thought it was best to do whatever they wanted to. And so where we pick up, you have to understand Adam and Eve have been evicted from Eden. They've been kicked out of perfection. And the world is now tainted and marred by sin, and it has been forever affected since then. And what's even more interesting is we're not entirely clear at this point what the interaction with God is like anymore. Back in the garden, they walked, they talked, they breathed. They had literally sit-down conversations as, as person to person. We, we don't really have a clear image of what this looks like. God still shows up and talks, but something's been marred, something's been changed. We don't know entirely what this looks like anymore. You, you kind of get a little bit of a picture. Even more interesting is that you have to understand this time, there's no Bible. There's no Old Testament laws to go off of. There's no pick up your Bible to Genesis chapter 1 and 2. That, that, there was nothing. They didn't have that. Everything at this point was relationship driven. It was all driven by a relationship. And so we pick up because Adam and Eve continue on. So let's read the whole verse, uh, chapter, one through, chapter 4, verse 1 through 7. It said, the man, being Adam, was intimate with his wife Eve. And she conceived and gave birth to Cain. She said, I have made a male child with the Lord's help. She also gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel became a shepherd of flocks, but Cain worked the ground. In the course of time, Cain presented some of the land's produce as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also presented an offering, some of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but he did not have regard for Cain and his offering. And Cain was furious, and he looked despondent, or his face was downcast. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you furious? Like, why do you look so downcast, despondent? He said, if you do what is right, won't you be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door, and it's desirous for you, but you must rule over it. There's much more of the story, but I want to stop there for the purpose of today. I want to be clear real quick. Genesis 4 is not about giving. That's not the point of the text. If you continue reading, you will find out the point of the text is trying to unpack and show as a narrative story is going on. It is the deprivation of mankind. Things get worse and worse and worse and worse. And right after this, you'll find Cain ends up killing his brother Abel. It shows just this pattern of sin is going downward and downward and downward and downward. And so I don't want to trick you in any way, shape, or form. However, as you can see from what we just saw, giving is a key component in the text. And I think it alludes to what causes our depravity of heart and go down. And so you see in verses 1 and 2, you see Adam and Eve, I love, fulfilling the will of God. He was intimate with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. you, you got to understand, back when Adam created, God created Adam and Eve, he said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. I want you to be part of this creative process. I want you to be with me. I want you to be image bearers and make more image bearers. I want you to be a part of this. you got to understand, they've been cut off. They've been kicked out of the garden even. What is God going to do? In their faith, they do what married people do, and they try to have a kid. And what the beautiful thing is, they conceive a child. And Eve looks and says, man, with God's help, I've done this. Man, I have a child. And in life, God's blessing continues on. 
like, this is not really the point of the message, but just think about this. How encouraging was this for them? Have you ever made a mistake and think, like, God could never use you anymore? Like, I'm done. Like, God is done with There's no way he could ever do anything with me again. Can I tell you, I don't care how bad you are, you have not ruined perfection like Adam and Eve have and ruined the perfection of God's created earth, and yet God still chooses to use them. He, he didn't give up on them. I don't know if you've ever felt that way, but the truth you can see in that is that God continues to use fallen people, and he will continue to use. And if there's nothing you get out of the sermon today is encouraged by that, but listen, if you struggle with sin, you struggle with this, God still can and will use you if you choose to let him. But that's not the point of the text we're getting at today. They have this child, she gives birth to a first son named Abel. And then she has the first to a second son, and then Cain. We learn they, they have different jobs. Abel is a shepherd. He shepherds the flocks. Cain works the ground. For all we know, Cain carries on the family line of what his dad did. His dad was a farmer. We know that's what they started with. And so we know they're carrying this on. It says, however, in the course of time, we see what happens, that they both came and present an offering to God. And the question I have to ask is, well, where did this practice of offering come from? Like, there's no record anywhere before this of a command for offerings. There's nowhere God tells them, hey, you need to give an offering to me. This is how you need to worship me. This is what it looks like. We know through reading the rest of the Old Testament, this is God's character and this is an aspect. I can't help. You have to, there, when you read Hebrew scripture, there's a lot more question raised than answers given. It's just Eastern culture, and that's how they wrote from that time, uh, that perspective. And so when you read this, you have to ask, okay, either God has commanded it and it's not recorded. Maybe that's one explanation here. Maybe God has commanded to give offerings and it just wasn't recorded. Maybe this was just a response of who God is. This is legitimately worship. In their hearts, they feel like, i got to do something, and so they give what they have. Or maybe, and this is honestly where I kind of lean towards this, I believe Adam and Eve probably started this because they saw God do it with them, and he, they passed down this thing. Regardless of whichever belief you have in that, the truth is this, Cain's is rejected. For some reason, God says, Abel, I'll take yours, but Cain, yours I'm not taking. And the question we have to read into this say is, why? Why is his rejected? Like, like what's so bad it doesn't clearly say, again, no one tells us, it doesn't give us clear indication, say, well, this is why God rejected his. But details give us clues. So some theologians, some people try to argue, say, well, the reason that Cain's was rejected but Abel's was accepted was because of the type of offering. Like, one was an animal sacrifice and one was a, a fruit sacrifice. And this would all point to the animal sacrificial system that would come later in time, all this sort of stuff. And, and that's why that, this is why his, his offering was rejected. And some people try to point to that, but it makes no sense. There's no reason, there's no scripture that tells us that this was established. So, that, so it's kind of hard for me to really wrap my mind around it. But the other explanation you see is because you read in the details what's going on in their offering. What, what do we know about Cain's? Look at verse 3. It's saying Cain presented what? It's in the course of time, Cain presented some of the land's produce as an offering to the Lord. But Abel did something different. I said, Abel presented offerings to some of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. And for whatever reason, it says God accepted Abel's but rejected Cain's. Now, now just reading that details, it says Cain presented some, but Abel presented his first portions and his fat portions. If you had to compare, whose heart seemed into it? Have you ever gave a gift that your heart wasn't into it? You could care less about it? 
Listen, I can give my wife flowers in two different ways. One way I can tell you right now is going to be accepted. Another way she's going to say thanks but no thanks. And it all has to do with whether or not my heart and my attitude's in it. The best gifts I've ever given my wife have not cost me a whole lot, but have cost me a lot in time, energy, and effort. And the times I've given a lot and my heart wasn't behind it, my wife could care less about. And the same is true of us, too. You can't help but believe, say, well, for some reason, it seems like Cain is just, his heart's not into it. You read this, you see, obviously, because you see what two things he gives. One gives just some of his produce. Let me just give you the scrappings. Let me just give you some I have. But Abel gives his firstborn, his fat portions. Well, let's relay this to us. How does first fruits and fat portions relate to us? Let me, let me say it like this to make it a practical thing. If you're a note taker, you can write this down if you want. Just something to remember. First fruits for us. Think of this. You will give to first to that which is your greatest need. That which is urgent and important in your life. You will always give the first, the most important thing. If your power is out of your house because you forgot to pay your bill, guess what? You're going to find a way to pay that bill. Why? Because you need power of the house. I remember last year we were remodeling our bathroom, and in the middle of a remodel, we're pouring all this money into it. I come home one day, and I hear a, a little waterfall in my garage that I did not pay for. I didn't know what it was. I went in there, and I look at the top, and my water here is pouring water out the top. Now, I'm not an expert, but I remember calling my dad and said, is it supposed to do this? Because I did not pay for a water fountain installed, a water flow going in. He said, no. Now listen, it's the middle of winter, it's freezing cold. If you don't know anything about me, I take about two to three showers a day. I like to be clean and stuff. And it, let me tell you what happened. We went and got that thing fixed today. We didn't have the money for it. We found the money for it. You know why? Because things that I feel that are urgent and important, I will always find a way to take care of. Those are first fruits in our lives. What are those things in your life, if it came down to, you, you would find a way to pay for it. Your alternator goes on your car. I have to get to work. I'm going to find a way to pay for this. My, my utility bill went out. I have a water leak in the yard. Whatever it is, I'm going to find a way to pay for this. This has to be taken care of. Those are always your first fruits. Your fat portions, and you can write this down, are, are is what you will give your best to, to that which is your greatest desire. It's that which you see value in. You will always give your best to that which is your greatest desire, that which you see value in. Can you think of a time when you bought something that you couldn't afford, but you thought it was so valuable that you bought it anyways, and you knew it was the wrong thing to buy later, but you said, listen, this is, I, I value this. This is so important to me. I have to get this. I remember Emily and I got married. I was really into video games. I'm embarrassed to say, and I had, there was this video game that came, I had to get this, like, I had to, and I even told her, I said, so I can relate to youth and talk to them about this sort of stuff. It's a ministry thing, dear. Don't you understand? We have to get this, and I have to uh, put aside so many hours a week to practice because I can't have these kids calling me a noob and making fun of me because I don't know how to play this game, so I have to take care of this sort of stuff. And I spend money, and my wife's like, that is the biggest waste of $60. I'm like, maybe you think so. But to me, it's the best thing ever. Your first fruits are things that you say are the most important, and your fat portions are the things which you desire the most. You see, what, when you read about Abel's situation, Abel came to the Lord and said, you are the most urgent and most important thing in my life, and God, I desire you the most. But what did Cain say? Cain said, here's some fruit. I got done. I got done picking. Here, here's my leftover. And what happens with Cain is interesting. Cain does this, and God rejects it, and God says, listen, I don't want your offering. And we'll come back to the importance of that later. But, but Cain leaves upset. We see in verse 5 to 7 that he leaves bitter and upset. How do we know this? Because God says, listen, sin is crouching at your door. Satan's waiting to pounce. You better be ready. 
As a matter of fact, it talks about just the look on his face. It says he was dejected or despondent. Literally, the Hebrew means this. His face has fallen. You ever been around someone that you can tell just by looking at them that they are dejected in life? They walk around, their heads down, their shoulders are down, they're slumped. Like, man, you're just like, what is going on with you, bro? God walks up to Cain and immediately sees, and he says, listen, his faith, his face is down. And he says, listen, if you do what is right, but won't you be accepted? That, that word do right means this, literally, do you, if you'll do what you know you should have done. If you've just done what you know you should have done, what you should have done in the first place, will you not be accepted? Literally, that word means lifted up. It implies a removal of guilt. Like, make no mistake, Cain's situation here, Cain feels shame and guilt because he knows what he should have done and he did not do it. He, he half-heartedly gave a gift and said, I can sneak by and throw it and just say I did my part, but really there, there is no worship, there's no act, there's nothing in it. And all throughout Scripture, God makes it clear, I don't want that. Matter of fact, in the Old Testament, he would say time and time, like, I'm sick and tired of your burnt offerings. I'm sick and tired of your empty praises. Like, listen, if you're not going to come with a harl in it, keep it. Keep it. I don't want it. I don't want any of it. God's like, I don't need it. And I love, God tells him, he warns him. I love, gives him a heads up. says, listen, you need to be careful because sin is crouching at your door. It reveals to me that there, there is a double-edged sword when it comes to our giving. I understand this, joyful giving will always lead to a joyful life. When you joyfully give to someone, I've never regretted giving something to my wife, my kids, and people I care about when I was excited. I, my heart is in it. I've never regretted that gift. I've never had seconds like, man, I, like, man, it was all worth it right there. But reluctant giving will always have an opportunity for sin at its door. When you reluctantly give, you always second guess. You always sit there and make excuses of why you don't do it, why the, you know, you deserve something different. Can I tell you, my complaint about teacher's gifts to my wife, and I went and reluctantly, all right, fine, let's go get him a Target gift card, whatever. Yeah, oh, we're going to wrap it now. Ooh, okay. So we go and do all that sort of stuff, and we give it to him. Can I tell you what I did the rest of the year? The rest of the year, I began to criticize and be bitter. Well, look at what they're doing. Is this what we're paying for? Is this really how awesome they are? And I began to criticize and, and just be bitter about every situation. Why? Because I was reluctant. My heart wasn't in it. There's an aspect, if you can't give with joy and with faith, and you probably shouldn't give it all because your heart is not going to be in it. You're going to find yourself with sin crouching at your door. When I read this text, I can't help but understand like, what our giving should look like here. I understand this. Listen, our giving should be joyful. It should be joyful. I, I don't think I need to remind you the difference between joy and happiness. Happiness is a feeling that comes and goes. Joy is a choice you choose to make. I choose to be happiness. I choose to find joy in this day. You know what? This is going to hurt to give, but you know what? I'm going to choose joy anyways because this is what happens. I love what 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7 says, says this. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Our giving should be joyful. The second thing I say is this, is our giving should require faith. There should be an act of faith. When we give, we believe that we are giving something, that God's going to do something with us. You can't control it. I remember one time driving to Juarez, New Mexico with a group of guys from the church, and I'm talking about we drove by a homeless person sitting aside begging for money. And I, in my honesty, I remember looking at him and going, man, that drives me crazy because you know they're probably just going to go drink. I began to criticize. And one of the guys in the car, <laughs> I'll never forget, sitting right in front of me, calling me out and says, you know, I used to think the same way. 
But you know what? God tells me to give and not to worry about the rest. And you know what? I need to just trust and if God's going to bless it. Maybe he will, maybe he won't. I don't know. That's not my job to sit here and criticize and be like, man, whew, thanks a lot for that dose of reality. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4 says this, By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. By, by faith. Said through which he was commended as righteousness. We, we learn from Scripture that there was an aspect of faith in our giving. When you give, do you give in faith, believing that God is going to use even your, your abundant or limited resources to do something amazing? Do you have the faith that, you know what, even if I give just a loaf of bread and a couple of fish, I believe God's capable of taking this and feeding 5,000 with it. I believe even a little bit makes a big difference in the kingdom of God. Too often we come to think that man, we got like a rich uncle premise, like we got someone else that will take care of it and do it all, when in reality it's the small things that make a difference in the kingdom of God. God shames the prideful and stuff with the weak people in the world and says, look at what I can do with even a little bit, just a little bit of faith. Our giving should reflect that. Our giving should require sacrifice. There should be an aspect of sacrifice. You saw the difference between Cain and Abel. One gave first fruits, one just gave leftovers. It's about giving up something you value and want for something you value and want more. It's easy to give up something that you say, I got an excess, I just don't care about this. Yeah, you can take my scraps, you can take my hand-me-downs. I'll never forget with our kids, when Christmas we came around, we said, listen, before Santa brings you gifts, we said, we, we want to take one of your toys and we want to give to another kid. And my kids went, did what any kid would do, let's just be honest. They went and found that one dust bunny toy stuffed in the bed, it's got his ear gnawed off, and said, oh, give him this one, I love this one. I'm like, you haven't even played with that in a year and a half, what are you talking Oh, like they get the scraps, like we all have the propensity to give the least thing that we want, the little we have. For, for many of you, listen, for many of you, this is your money. Your sacrifices, it, 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 it's going to hurt a little bit, but you, you need to give in faith and a little bit of sacrifice to give your money. Some of you, let's be honest, some of you have devoted your whole life to a job and career that you are making an abundance of money, and the hardest thing for you is to sacrifice your time and energy. You have no problem giving them money to help out stuff, but in reality, when it comes to your time and energy, you're not giving any of that, Lord, because that's already consumed, and you're not willing to give any of it. When the Lord gets your scraps left and right, the Lord becomes a commodity in our life rather than a necessity in every other thing we do. And what scares me, I'm just going to be honest with you, but being a youth pastor for years, seeing the trend that we passed down to our kids. Hey, listen, I'm going to worship the Lord, but you know what? Whenever I have this, a job, when I have sports, like, listen, as long as it doesn't conflict with your sports, your work life, your school life, then you go to church. And God becomes second in our life. We wonder why our kids grow up and suddenly they have no interest in the Lord because we've raised them to believe that God is a commodity of life, not a necessity. There has to be an aspect of sacrifice. This is the most important thing I'll say. Our giving is not, our giving is not about quantity, but about quality. Sometimes we think that we have to give all this sort of stuff, and it's all about this. It's not about the quantity. And never once in Scripture does the Lord make any kind of reference to the abundance of what you give. It's the quality in what you give. As a matter of fact, every reference in the New Testament you ever find of an example of giving comes not from the wealthy or the elite. It comes from the poorest of poor who give. Don't believe me. Let me read you a text in Mark chapter 12. In Mark chapter 12, verse 41 through 44, this is Jesus talking. He's at a temple as they're worshiping. People are around him, and he uses things they see in church service to, to give a real-life example. Imagine that for a second. You're sitting right there, and Jesus is sitting right next to you, and they're trying to pin him down, help us understand this sort of stuff. And Jesus looks up and says, let me, let me just tell you something. It says, and he sat down opposite from the treasury and watched the people putting in money in the offering box. He said, many rich people uh, put in large sums. 
But then in verse 42, it says, And a poor widow came and put two small copper coins, which make about a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put more in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had and all she had to live on. You got to understand, this time and culture, man, they, they would be a very visible thing. And so imagine up front, we got our tithes and offerings box, and you got people coming left and right. I raided my piggy bank up there, so forgive me, this is all I got. People are coming up and doing this right here, and literally you would hear it. Literally like a trumpet sounding is what it would be. And, and you would hear these wealthy people give, I mean, just dropping stuff in. And Jesus, they're hearing this left and right as people are giving. And Jesus says, I want you to watch this little widow. And she comes and just as this. It's not hard to hear. Who gave more money? We'd be like, man, thank goodness for those rich people who gave more. But Jesus stops and right says, listen, if you want to know who gave the most, it was the lady who came second. Because it's not about the quantity. It's about the quality of what you give. Some of us just need to start. We think later and later, listen, God doesn't want your money. He wants your faithfulness. He wants your admiration. He wants your worship. This truth is tied to more than just finances. It's just so happy we're talking about finances today. It's about your time. You can't come and say, well, God, I'll give you this small snippet of my time. That's all you know. Listen, it's about the quality of the time you give to the Lord. Our, our, our generosity is a reflection of our relationship. I, I think of my generosity with my own girls. Uh, people always say, you, you don't understand until you have kids of your own, right? I mean, it's just something you can't wrap your mind around. You walk into our house, I'm embarrassed of how many toys you will go upstairs and see in our upstairs playroom. I mean, it's literally, you, you, could, you could kill someone with, with all the stuffed animals we have up there and stuff. I have invested more money in dolls and unicorns. Oh, my goodness. My daughter is into unicorns and Mickey Mouse and all that sort of stuff. Can I tell you how much I care about that stuff? Not one bit. If I never see another unicorn in my life, I will sleep fine at night. But you know what? Time and time again, I continue to invest. I continue to give away to those things. I continue to pour into those things. Why? Because it's important to them. It's important to them. And because what's important to them, my relationship, my love for them, compels me to want to give them what is important to them and want to contribute and be a part of what's going on. When I read Scripture, do you know what's important to the Lord? You see in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, his church. He calls it his bride. And what sickens me, a lot of people walk away wanting to bash the bride and say, I love God, but I really can't stand the church. You can't come to me and say, man, I love you, Eric, but I can't stand Emily. Hey, you can't separate us. Some people say, why do I got to give the church? Because that's his bride. And we'll talk more next week on why we invest in church and why we give to eternal things because they mean something and God uses those things. Can I tell you something else God cares about? In Matthew chapter 24, verse 31 through 46, you see this talk about the separating the sheep and the goats, and God talks about these people caring for the least of these. He says, you've, you fed and you clothed the least people in the world. And because of that, you did it for me. When you love his people, you love the Lord. Too often we are kind of like, I don't really care about them, I don't really like them. No, listen, if you love the Lord, you'll love them, because that is what's on his heart, and that's what he's passionate about. You give to what they care about. And so my question for you is this, how generous are you? How generous are you to the church, his bride? How generous are you to his people? 
the ones who are made in his image, the one that he gave his only son to die on the cross for their sins that you say are not are worthless. Our, our generosity reflects our relationship. And, and so here, here's, here's my closing thing for you real quick. If you're not generous, if you struggle it like I did for many, many years, and I still am working through it, one of two things has to be true about you. Listen to this. Don't miss this. If you struggle with generosity, one of two things has to be true. One is this. There, there is a distance in your relationship with the Lord to a point where you have esteemed money in these things more than him. That, that, that's one thing that has to be true. And I can tell you right now, it was true of me. Or, or the second thing has to be true. There is no relationship. It simply does not exist. And you're giving and doing stuff because that's what you believe people are supposed to do, not because you want to. And so one of those two things has to change. If I'm making you uncomfortable talking about money, guess, guess what? I'm uncomfortable talking about myself, too. But we have to because our relationship is directly tied to it. And so I'm going to ask this where you're at, where you're sitting right now. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes and just take a second. This is not a time to go to sleep or start sorting stuff. This is a time for you just to say, God, what are you trying to tell me? There are many of you I know just like me that came just like Canaan and just gave some of your life to him. Gave the scraps. There are many of you that don't give anything. I'm not even talking about just finances here. I'm talking about time, energy, effort, talents, resources, your skills, your giftings that he's put in you. The breath just to talk to people about him. You, you don't give anything. And today, you need to come make a commitment and say, God, I'm going to give you my first fruits. I'm going to give you my fat portions because you're the most urgent thing in my life and you're the most valuable thing in my life and I give you whatever you want. You take first and I'll live on what's rest. And some of you I know right now can't do that because you don't know how to steward your finances. Been there, done that right here. That's why we're offering a class for you to come and learn and say, hey, how can I do a better job at this and get your situation together? Some of you right now need people to help steward just your schedule because you've just forgotten how to put that together. But you have to decide if your relationship with Jesus Christ is worth it. And so as I pray, I'm going to ask you just to respond in kind of how you need. Maybe today you need to make a commitment. Lord, I'm going to start small. I haven't been given anything. I'm going to give a little bit. Whether it be my time, my energy, or, or, or my money. Maybe allow God to expose your heart, the relationship that's been offset, or maybe today you need to come put a relationship there. Father God, I pray this church comes to know you. God, I pray that we come to fall in love with you so much that loosening the grip on our money and our time and our energy is nothing because what you give us is so much better. God, I pray we'd be a church not marked by our wealth, but by our love for you. God, I pray for the people who understand my voice who, who don't know you. God, I pray today they come put a faith in, in you. I pray they come meet me or one of the elders of the side, and we're just going to talk to them what it means to have salvation, what it means to have this kind of relationship. 
to be with our church members, convict them to be more giving, more generous, not, not because we need money here at the church, but because your relationship with you demands it. Teach us to be faithful in that. God, I love you because you're good. I love you because you loved us first. I love you because you were generous with us first. God, I pray we'd be a people that leave here more passionately in love with you. I praise you for who you are and what you deserve. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I'm going to ask that you stand. And we're going to worship and sing. If you need to respond, you respond. I'll be available. Thank you. 